With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak. Your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. What up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will Weir checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today as we celebrate the Boston Celtics tying up the best of seven series in the Eastern Conference semifinals with the Philadelphia 76ers one to one. It's my podcasting cousin from across the pond, the leader of the Taylor gang, the one and only Adam Taylor. What's going on, baby? What is it you say? El Fuego. El Fuego. You feeling El Fuego today? Oh, man. That performance was El Fuego, dude. It was, uh, <laughs> I was really, really enjoying myself this morning when I got that watching nice and early. I'm living good, feeling much better than I was to start the week. Yeah, a lot, lot better feeling after game two versus game one. Uh, Got to shout out our, uh, you know, our other co-host here, Greg. He was right. Me and him had to kind of, you know, struggle our way through a, a game one reaction in which, you know, reactions are overreactions, especially when you're fans in the moment. That's that, that's what happens, what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to vent. Things like that will happen. And he even called out the script. You know, this is what we've seen the Celtics do time and time again. They lose games they're not supposed to. And then they bounce back with games that are supposed to be more difficult, and they beat that ass. Yep, they tap that ass, dude. They make it their bitch. I will say that Greg on the Instagram live yesterday went for the over. Uh, we were talking about how many threes the Celtics were going to shoot. And yeah, he, he he put out like fifty five, and then he took the over. I took the under. So Greg came close to him, man. Fifty one threes is a right hell of a there, lot man. of threes. Yeah, that's going to be one of the big talking points that that we get into. So, so with that, to help us get in here, let's uh, let's do what we always do here right after a game, and let's cue up a morning box score. Morning box score: Boston Celtics take down the Philadelphia 76ers at home, one twenty-one to eighty-seven. They tie up that best of seven series, one to one, heading to Philadelphia this weekend for games three and four. For the Sixers, it was the return of the league MVP. Joel Embiid plays just under 27 minutes, 15 points, 5 blocks, 3 rebounds, 4 of 9 from the field. His running mate, James Harden, who was just Denzel Washington, man on fire on in game one, 
cut more like Elsa tonight, uh, in game two. Two of 14 from the field, 0 of 6 from three, only 12 points, did have 10 rebounds and four assists. Tyrese Maxey had 13 points. Another solid game from Tobias Harris, 16 points and seven rebounds. Over on the Celtic side, it was all about the tone setter of the night, and that's the masked man himself. Jalen Brown, 9 of 17 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3, 25 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists. His running mate, Jason Tatum, definitely a much, much more reduced role than last night's game. Only 7 points in 19 minutes, 1 of 7 from the field, did have 7 rebounds, 3 assists, but that's okay. The Boston Celtic role players came to play in Game 2. Derek White and Marcus Smart, the starting backcourt, combined for 30 points. Derek White goes 3 of 6 from 3. Marcus Smart also has 5 rebounds and 2 assists. The 6th man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, was there to pick up the scoring load. 23 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists. Goes 6 of 10 from 3-point range. And the return of the Batman, Grant Williams, 4 of 8 from 3-point land. Plays just under 29 minutes, has 12 points off the bench for the Celtics. Adam, you touched on it. One of the big, big talking points of Joe Missoula after game one, just not enough threes. Like you said, Greg threw it out there that 55 might be that over-under. Just hit that under as they double up, just about double up their three-point attempts from game one. 26 in game one, they shoot 51 three-point shots in game two, knocking down 20 of them for a 20 to six advantage against the Philadelphia 76ers, who actually won that battle 17 to 10 in game one. But that's a big difference in this one. Celtics win once again, 121 to 87. So Adam, let's start with the, with this offensive change for the Celtics in which they shoot 26 threes in game one, 51 in game two, Sounds like they really de- they were really listening to Joe Missoula's post game comments. Yeah, I mean that's been there. Everyone talks about having an identity, right? Especially in the postseason, and jacking up a ton of threes has been the identity under Joe Missoula all season long. So while it made perfect sense to attack the rim more in Game One, you don't have Joel Embiid. There's not really any rim protection there. With Embiid back, a game down, getting back, getting back to who you are on offense is the most logical kind of adjustment you can make, right? I mean, it weren't just like they were shooting any freeze. They were, there was a lot of drive and kick. They were running some screening actions. I'd say 92% of their shot selection was good shots. Yeah. I don't think they were taking bad shots. Uh, Philly's defense just didn't have the same intensity it had in game one. Boston made them pay. And then, as you said, in the morning, but scored a six man of the year came to play. The role players came to play. Overall, though, yeah, they listened to Joe Missoula. So any discussion of them tuning Missoula out after less than a full season under, like with him as head coach can be put on pause right now. Yeah, and I think the big part of that is is that process you talked about, right? Yeah. Because there's sometimes where this team falls into, well, our game plan is to shoot threes, and they're shooting threes, but they're not shooting good threes. And last night, for the most part, as you said, I think the process to get those threes, the ball movement, getting paint touches, getting out in transition against a Philly team that you've highlighted before likes to play slow, slow, slow. And so trying to get them out in transition, I thought the Celtics did a really good job of that. And I think from an individual standpoint, you know, you touched on Brogdon, but I want to start with Jalen Brown because I think Jalen Brown was so incredibly important to last night's game. A lot was made of game one that he only took 10 shots. He made eight of them. 
And, you know, some of that was was maybe coaching. I think some of that was Jalen Brown himself got a little bit less aggressive for whatever reason, you know, in game one. In this game, he came out and, and set a tone with a big big first quarter, big start to the third quarter. And in each of those, he, he came out aggressive both offensively and I think defensively, him taking on that James Harden assignment at different points in this game, especially early on, and picking up James Harden full court at certain points to just say, just to make him feel it, make him feel a little bit more uncomfortable from right from the jump. I thought was was really important to, you know, as I've said, set the tone for this team who too many times, and this is part of, of the freak out from game one, is great. You guys are talking again about how you didn't show up with that intensity. Well, that intensity was there, and Bede was back. I don't know if that's all it takes. It's just, hey, play your best guys, and we'll we'll play our best game. Seems to be like that's how it works, even though it's the playoffs. It should be your best game every time. But, you know, it certainly was the case, and Jalen Brown was the guy that made things go for the Celtics in game two. Yeah, super aggressive, got to his spots. Um, I'd like to point out that the fact that he went at Embiid, went to his chest, went to dunk on Embiid, dunk through Embiid, dunk over man, Embiid. That would have been an all-time highlight if he threw that down. Yo, dude, man. But just the fearlessness, that pumps guys up. If you rewatch that highlight, look at the smile on his face. Even though it didn't go, he was having fun out there, man. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you do things joyfully and when you do things for the right reasons because you're playing the game the way that feels good for you the way that you like to play you're going to have a good night and he definitely did he was pressuring that rim all the way through his three-point shots off the move were good his three-point shots off the dribble were good and it wasn't one of the Jalen Brown's like you know Butterfingers nights this was the best version of Jalen Brown you're going to get Al Horford said after the yeah. game I don't know real quick one turnover for Jalen Brown very one very turnover. big one for him yeah did you see the Al Horford clip where he's talking to Scott afterwards uh, I don't think I saw that to catch me up here so it's like it's like a video call so he's calling into like NBC Sports Boston's post game and Al Horford was like yo this was a top of Jalen like, I, I, there's been very few times I've seen Jalen Brown play better than this if ever like paraphrasing but that was the way Horford put it like mm-hmm. this was Jalen Brown at his best aggressive, finishing plays, running with the ball in his hands, creating stuff for others, like everything that the Celtics have been working towards with him just all kind of converged into this performance. And the only downside to me personally is it was another game where one of the Jays took over instead of being able to say mm-hmm. both of the Jays clicked. So that's such a rarity. And like, if they can figure out how to make that work, then I don't know who stops this team. Yeah, I mean, that gets back to, you know, when the Jays score over 30, you know, we I always ask Greg, what happens? They get dubs, and they have the best winning percentage when that happens. And, you know, last night, to win this game, 121 to 87, and you get, and so that's the funny thing I was thinking about, you get a stat line from Jason Tatum, he only plays 19 minutes, so in the long run, he got, a, he got basically a rest night. You know, seven points, one of seven from the field, oh of three, did get to the line five times, seven rebounds, three assists. And you think about Jason Tatum's stat line from game one, right? 39, 11, and five, and you lose that game, but you get this game from Jason Tatum and you come away with a win. And, you know, you factor in, you know, Jalen Brown only shot the ball 10 times, but shot 80% from the field. So you take those two stats from game one and you somehow end up with a loss. Here you get, you know, a game where just Jason Tatum just didn't have it, was in foul trouble most of the night. And by the time he could have come back, the Celtics already had the game in hand and they walk away with a win. It's, you know, I, I think while obviously ideally you'd like both the Jays going, I think this once again speaks to versatility is king. 
right? Having different options. And that's where I think this game where you can have such a resounding victory when the Sixers get, you know, their guy, their MVP back, and you can come out and have this type of night. Once again, this is what leads to the frustrations of game one, because these are the peaks. These are the Celtics that we watch and we see them dominate in these ways that, yeah, this could be a really special team, but it's not always there night to night. But on a night like this, you have so many guys that step up on the back end. And I think from here, I want to transition to the to the starting backcourt of the Celtics. Let's go to let's go to Marcus Smart first, because Marcus came into this game questionable with a chest contusion injury that, you know, I think he suffered in the Hawks series, but was re-aggravated um, against Philly in game one. But he came out, and I think very similar to, to Jalen Brown. He kind of set a tone defensively. He was very aggressive. You could see it, you know, in his play. You could see it in his mindset. And then offensively, I think he just made a lot of good decisions. Also, like Jalen Brown, one turnover. That's huge. The Celtics had 16 turnovers in game one. Uh, they reduced that last night to just six in the game. So obviously, that's a massive difference as well. You think about the three-point variance and the turnover variance, and those are two things that are very high on Joe Missoula's list. And so for Marcus last night, I thought this was a great Marcus game all the way through. I think he had moments in game one in which he was really good, but I thought this one from start to finish, Marcus Smart uh, was, was one of the best players for the Celtics on the court last night. Marcus Smart threw down a reverse alley-oop off a of baseline. Yeah, that was fire. Marcus Smart threw down a reverse alley-oop off a baseline drive. I've had to repeat it because I couldn't believe it. Do you know how many times I've rewatched that play? <laughs> like, I don't care what else happened in the game. Marcus Smart threw down a reverse alley-oop off a baseline drive. Uh, defense, he was great. The pickup points were really solid. Aggression was good. It was controlled aggression. When he dove for a ball, it was actually trying to get the ball rather than be the hero like we discussed previously. Uh, Three-point shooting was good. I thought that his shot selection, his willingness to get off the ball was really good. And Marcus Smart threw down a reverse alley-oop off a baseline <laughs> drive. Like, shit, the dude just had a good night. It was one of the better Marcus Smart games in recent weeks. Yeah, that's, that's one of those Marcus Smart games that you want to bottle up and you know and say, hey, this is what we need from you. This is what we need. And he had, he had a great uh, game six against Atlanta too. Yeah. And I thought in game one, he had six turnovers, but other than, but which obviously is, is just far too many to have. But I did think in that fourth quarter and at different points in that game, he was one of the better Celtic options in game one. So this is a, a pretty solid three-game stretch from Marcus Smart that we're getting right now. That feels a lot more in line with the Marcus Smart that we got last season at different points when he was playing maybe some of the best basketball we've ever seen him play. And then you look at his, you know, his backcourt mate, Derek White. Derek White has been in a little bit of funk this postseason. Last night, you could see it at the end of the second quarter. He hits that three off a feed from Al Horford in the corner, and you see him almost raise his hand as like, my God, finally. And then from there, he steamrolled that into a beautiful third quarter in which the Celtics really put this game away and put it out of reach. So that the fourth quarter was, was basically a scrimmage between the ends of each of the benches for the two teams. And so Derek White refinding his shot last night, going three of six from three, five of nine from the field, chipping in with 15 points. That is so big for this team moving forward because he, along with, you know, Al Horford had really, who's still struggling, you know, had really been struggling to to find their shots and you know that's a big part of what makes this team so lethal is having all of these options so Derek White seemingly refining his mojo is another big part of last night yeah I mean look he played that well Doc Rivers shouted him out after the game I don't know if you saw that one where his exact words were because I've got the quote in front of me White and <laughs> is the fact that Rivers like I don't know if he scored a lot 
but White was huge for them. He was like yeah. the team, the effort, keeping the ball alive, making the plays. With Derek White, it's never about how many points he puts on the board, right? It's very similar to what we used to discuss with Marcus Smart. There's so many intangibles to his game, his movement, how his movement opens up opportunities for others, the willingness to be on the ball, the willingness to be off the ball. But the Derek White we've seen in recent weeks has been a 15 to 25 point a night guy. He's a swing factor for you. Uh, it's not just that either. It's the fact that at his best, he's giving you 18 and 6 in points and assists. And that is a huge boost off the bench, or it's a huge boost as your two guard if you're playing a little bit smaller with Smart and White. You feel it now when he doesn't have a good game. It's it's a lot harder for the Celtics offense to flow the way it does when it's when he's at his best. So to see him kind of lift that lid off the basket, start to get back to the level that we saw in games one and two against Atlanta and to close out the regular season. That's going to be huge for the Celtics going through the rest of this series. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be another drop game, I'd assume. Um, Derek White is going to be a huge factor there. Playing him alongside Marcus Smart just makes so much sense. He's such a smart and he- like heady, heady, heady ball player. Mm-hmm. He's a hooper's hooper. Yeah, and you know, and I don't like saying it like that. He, he just he- makes winning plays, right? He's just yeah. he's the guy that. Not every time are you going to be like, man, that's the guy that I got to play with because he's just going to get buckets and we're going to win games. He's the guy that's just always on the court. Every time you go to 24-hour fitness or LA fitness, wherever you're hooping, and it's just kind of random pickup teams, that guy's just, his team always stays on the court. You're not, and sometimes you can't always put your finger on it, but you know that that guy is making major contributions, sometimes in ways you can see, sometimes in other ways that are a little bit less visible. Yeah, and you need guys like that. You need the, and you know, Brad Stevens refers to him as connectors. And the Celtics have a few of them. And when they all connect everything together, we get a performance like this. Now, obviously, as you said, in the third quarter, the Celtics kind of just went supernova. but And everything converged together. But that's a process, and that's a product of having your connecting players playing at a high level. And when we get around to talking about the bigs, I've got some thoughts on Horford too. But yeah, let's act, let's actually pause right there. Let's take a quick break here, Adam, and then let's go to the bigs on the bench because I think that's the, the next part that, that we need to go to. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so... You know, you, you started to talk about it here. Let's get into, and do you want to start with the bigs or the bench? Let's go with our double Bs here. Bigs or bench? Which way do you want to go? I think we start with the bigs. They start. They were starters in the game, so now they should be starters in our discussion. Take us away, Adam. So I'm just going to focus on our Horford and the intangibles that he brought to the game, the impact that he made that didn't show up in the traditional box score. Yeah, he shot like shit. Well, none of us are going to argue that, but his remit is to fire away freeze and... In the end of the day, volume creates as much gravity as makes. Maybe not as much, but it's quite a similar amount. But it was the... Real quick on that point, Adam, he's going to continue to get that. So he needs to keep shooting those shots because if they're going to give it to... I mean, he shot near 45%. You know, they talked about it. I think he was third in the NBA this year in three-point shooting. And we've seen Al be so massive in both stints that he's been with the Celtics in playoff games that number one, I have the confidence that he's going to keep shooting it because he needs to. And number two, I have the confidence that he's going to find his shot at some point. So if Philly wants to play with that fire, I am very happy to have Al Horford keep firing away from three. Yeah. I mean, just let him go because there's going to be a game where the lid comes off for him. Like it came off for Derek white and then boom, you're back in business. But for me, it was the hustle stats. I'm just pulling them up now. So along with the two blocks that he had, which, you know, fair enough, he's Al Horford, he's going to get a couple of blocks in the game. For all the talk, and I've been vocal about this too, of that losing half a step, losing half a step, if I wanted to sound American, he's definitely um, still kept his ability to play angles, his recovery. It's all about his change of direction that's a little bit slower now rather than his ability to close out in straight lines. But then we look at, as I like, as everybody else likes to call them, the hustle stats. And it's who worked their, their ass off, right? So when you look, Al Horford had three deflections. Now, for anyone that doesn't really rate deflections, to me, deflections are just as important as steals. Yeah. Your hand got on the ball. It's just that the ball bounced off. You know, you still broke up a play. You made a team reset. Maybe another one of your team managed to like get the steal after that, or you get a stop. So he had three deflections, had six screen assist points. So he screened for guys to score six points. The Rudy Gobert stat. Yeah, it looks like they were both threes as well because he only had two screen assists. But then he contested five two-point shots, two three-point shots, gave him... Oh, no, sorry, that was, I was one down. Contested three two-point two shots, two three-point shots. He And he was just everywhere, dude. Recovered a loose ball, boxed out. How many times? Boxed out once as well. So, like, he, I mean, they're boxed out more than that. I don't trust the NBA box yeah. out stats at all. Like, what, what are we registering as a box out here? Does it have to be Very traditional? Very subjective, yeah. Yeah, like, no, dude, I'm not trusting that stat. But my point stands, right? He, Al Horford was he everywhere in this game. Yeah, he was everywhere. His short roll offense was really good in terms of, like, swinging that rock across to, to the weak side or to the strong side. Willing screener. Yeah, the ball didn't fall. But to me, there was a point in time where I was sitting there thinking about what I was going to write about for Celtics blog today. I was like, Al Horford's big game. And then I look at the box score after the game because I try not to watch with the headphones on anymore because then 
I feel like you can get taken down a rabbit hole with what the announcers are saying in their mm. narrative. So I try and watch it without the headphones. And then I check the box score and I'm like, Al Horford didn't have a big game. But to me, it <laughs> felt like he had a really big impact on the game, you know? So a huge, huge, huge fan of what Al Horford did. Uh, that was the only big that started. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the only big that started. But I, I'm with you. I, I was watching it. So last night I had, I wasn't able to watch all of the game in, in real time. I had a, a, Greg and I had a rec league game last night, proud to say. Who won? Green with, Green with Envy pulled off a 63-60 win. So n- nearly nearly had a Celtics moment where we choked it away at the end, but uh, we were down 15-2, made a strong comeback. I was proud of our boys. We fought. So big win for the Green with Envy uh, men's league team last night. But as I was watching the game as well, I mean, it, it did stand. I mean, it stands out, right, when you know he wasn't hitting this three. But if you just remove that one aspect, Al Horford left an imprint on this game. I think you're totally right. I think it's, it's basically the, it's very similar to what we just talked about with Derek White, where there's nights that – he may only have five points, four rebounds, three assists, but you're like, man, that his him imprint was all over that game. And I think Al Horford is the big version of that. And he's been that type of guy since he's been in Boston the first time and certainly since he's come back. And then let's go to the let's go to some of the bench here. Cause I think this is now this is bigs and bench that we're still with right now. And let's start with Robert Williams as we go the traditional bigs. Then we can hit uh the other other two guys that that really played big roles off the bench last night. But Rob Williams is another guy where I felt like his activity level was very high. His energy was super high. He had seven rebounds, four assists, and three blocks. And so it feels like, you know, even though he's only playing 21 minutes, it feels like we're getting that high energy Rob that is just kind of wreaks havoc on the defense, right? And you can feel it even in some some of these that didn't end up in rebounds, but the tips that he was getting to keep balls alive, to to keep them from turning into offensive rebounds that maybe turn into threes or turn into putbacks for the Sixers. He he was just in the mix last night and I thought despite only having two points, his activity level was super super encouraging. Yeah, it's the little things like when he's around the room, guys release the ball quicker so then their shots are a bit off or they release it higher or faster or what or stronger, whatever. He, his effect there is huge. But then I felt like the Celtics defense didn't really pick up its intensity until Rob's first stint off the mm-hmm. bench. When he first came in off the bench, that's when I felt like the defense kind of settled down, figured out what they were going to do, started to pick up a little bit higher. You had Rob there. You felt comfortable knowing if someone beats you, Rob's going to be able to get there or at least challenge the shot. Offensively, like we've, you've said everything that needed to be said. You know, he, he's another guy, same as or Horford, that can connect things. Now, Rob, to me, is what Aaron Neesmith would be if he was 6'9", 6'10", just in terms of like... Tasmanian un- devil, energizer, yeah. bunny. Yeah, dude. Just like there's no control there, but there is, right? It's that... How can I put it? Controlled like, chaos. That's the word I was looking for, yeah. It's like NASCAR in a human. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you just like, please just you don't think, let him How many times do you think Robert Williams has ever been compared to Jeff Gordon? Hmm. I'm trying to think. At least six. At least six times. That, was, that was his high school comp in uh, in uh, in the McDonald's really? All-American Games. No, I'm just joking. But. Um, I was going to say, apparently I look like Andrew Bogart, I got told yesterday. Oh, man. We got we got a lot of celebrities on the podcast. We got Fernand Korkmaz. We've got Derek White combo. Now we've got Andrew Bogan. Well, someone else said that uh, Greg looked like um, 
Jose Alvarado. I saw that too. I, I popped in for a minute. I saw that as well. Yeah. That so a, we've got a, we got a lot. Of, when I hop on, I think I'm going to be joining on on Friday when we do our. Uh, this is a good time to promote that. So pregame IG live. Make sure you're following at Green MB Pod at Adam Taylor MBA. Uh, we should be going live again 4:30 Eastern time, 3:30 Central uh, in advance of Game Three Friday night. But back to what you were saying here, here Adam about um, about Rob. Yeah, I mean, I've said what I needed to say. Look, he contested 10 two-point shots, contested three threes. That was the most shot contest out of anyone on the Celtics. Just, It was the most shot contest out of anyone not named Juwan Embiid who beat him by two shots, considering yeah. and Embiid was on the floor for five more minutes, which I found wild that Embiid played 26 minutes on his first game back while wearing a knee brace, but that's for Sixers fans to. Yeah. Well, no, let's, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Cause I do want to look at this from the Philly perspective here in just a second. And, and in terms of certain adjustments, but before we wrap that, before we go over to that side, I think, you know, we talk, we're talking right now about the small things that Al Horford and Rob Williams did two super obvious things that happened off the bench last night where Malcolm Brogdon and Grant Williams just raining down three. 10 three-pointers made between Brogdon and Grant Williams. You know, Brogdon has 13 of his 23 in the second half. And I think, you know, game one, save for the outlet pass that Malcolm Brogdon threw to Tyrese Maxey that ended the game, I thought he played a really good game one. You know, I thought he was a guy that that had a good game one. He had a great game two. And I think this is a series where you're seeing how important it is having that third consistent guy that can get you points, that can get you buckets, that can create on his own, that can get his shot both in the lane, can also get it off the dribble, shooting threes like we saw last night. And that was a component that was sorely missing last year during the playoff run the Celtics had. And so I think having this third guy, especially on a night where, you know, like you said, ideally the Jays are both going for 25 plus, 30 plus, doesn't always happen. And so to have a guy like Malcolm Brogdon that can have back-to-back, you know, solid scoring outputs has 23 points last night on a very efficient seven of 15, six of 10 from three. I think last night, this is the vision of what made me so excited when you think about having a guy like Malcolm Brogdon when the Celtics make that trade in the off season. Uh, last night was, was the type of game that Malcolm Brogdon is going to have. That's going to put this team in a different place from where it was. When you think back to last season's postseason run. Yeah. There's times where I feel like he dribbles the air out of the ball. For sure. And there was times like that in this game before he heated up when Brogdon heats up, he's, willingness to shoot and his decision making on when to shoot seem to pick up as well. It's like once he's once he's got it going, everything just happens a little bit quicker for Brockton. And I agree, like last year coming out of the finals, you knew that the Celtics needed that type of ball handling bench scorer that can also facilitate and run the offense. Brockton was the dream acquisition. And then Brad, to me, this game just—I mean, he wanted—he just won six man of the year. So obviously, Brad Stevens is already justified. But if you still needed convincing that Brogdon was that missing piece, and if you did, then you're far bigger skeptic than me. But if you did, then this game should have put you at rest because yeah. Brogdon came in and literally just took over for a stretch. It felt like everything he was shooting didn't miss. There was one shot he took from deep. I think it was in transition or we come off the screen and just walked into a free. And I was like, that's a heat check right there. Boom, went in. And then it just, it was like someone had put a magnet on the back of the rim. Everything was just dropping for him. And he's not always going to play like that, but you don't need him to. Jason Tatum's not always going to score seven points and be in foul trouble from start to finish. Jalen Brown will score more than 25 sometimes and score less than 25 sometimes. There's variance in this, but as you said, having that additional option 
that can do so many different things while scoring is a huge, huge plus on that bench. And I love the fact that he hasn't come off, he hasn't started since he joined the team. Yeah, they had a game plan and they stuck to it. I mean, yeah. him being that sixth man from the moment they traded for him, that was the plan and they stuck to it throughout the entire season. And you're seeing those dividends right now. And that was just a really, really important Brogdon game. And I think the other guy on the bench that we got to talk to who, you know, you were very vocal about not, you know, not being with Missoula's decision to to not play Grant Williams in the Atlanta series, knowing that, hey, whatever other opponents that we play, at least in the Eastern Conference, who knows we'll make it out of the West, but it, but even some of those teams, Grant Williams is going to be a very important member of this team. He's going to be a very important part of the rotation. And so taking him out of that Atlanta series, save for, I think it was game three that he played like 18, 20 minutes, save for that. And then in, and also in the clincher, he played he played a substantial amount. You know, he just didn't really see the court. And, you know, now, especially when the Sixers bring back a guy like Embiid, which, by the way, I, I feel like we need to be on Embiid watch at some point he's gonna take a swing at Grant Williams I Grant Williams is such a nuisance to Embiid I cannot wait till Embiid has just had enough and goes after Grant Williams because I, I see that happening down the line here game four game five it's gonna come to a head but this is what Grant's here for right that defense that he can play on a guy which by the way I think Reggie Miller called Grant Williams six three six four have some respect Grant Williams at least, <laughs> I believe six 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 seven six three six four was a bit of a stretch from from Reggie Miller when he said that that's uh, my height that's what I'm saying. I was like, all right, Reggie, like I get you're trying to amplify the disparity here between Embiid, who's you know, seven two and you know, Grant six 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 seven, but six three, six four. Come on, man. Give 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 him a little bit of respect. And you know, Grant came out, played a really great game, had a, had that awesome hustle play in uh, I think it was the first quarter that set up a Marcus Smart three. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was this is the Grant that that the Celtics need, especially in these series. And so for him to be able to play just under 29 minutes, score 12 points, knock down those four of eight, have four rebounds, four assists. This is, you know, so far in the play in the postseason, definitely his his definitive best game so far. Yeah, and I, like it's not like it's a lot to choose from. I like the fact that Missoula yesterday when he was asked what adjustments he needs to make, the first thing he said was play Grant Williams more minutes. Like, yeah, duh. Like, look on Twitter, dude. There's a few of us saying that. But jokes aside, like, obviously, I, I do believe, obviously, I don't think we know more than... Joe Mazzulla's at the top of his field. None of us are. So, you know, we respect what Joe does. But Grant Williams not playing much in the first game was really confusing to me. And now he plays in this game and plays really well. And then I'm kind of like, I feel vindicated because a lot of people pushed back when I was saying Grant should be getting minutes. He was the Grant Williams that we saw last postseason, but with a little bit more in his offensive bag. You know what I mean? With the assist, with being able to run some DHO actions and so forth. I was concerned when he first started shooting threes because I was like, the dude hasn't played enough. Maybe he's out of rhythm. Is he going to shoot himself out of the game? Blah, blah, blah. But no, he kind of settled down. I think he missed his first three. He might have missed his first two. Settled into the game and then just became that corner office dude. Yeah. Grant in his corner office is the office that you want, dude. That's where the paycheck comes in that corner office, I hope he gets run for the rest of the series. No, oh, he will. I, I mean, yeah. this is this is this is the prime matchup. This and what we thought would be, you know, the Bucks potentially down the road. These are two matchups that I think we all identified as these are Grant Williams series. These are series in which Grant Williams is going to have to play, going to have to be a major factor offensively, meaning he has to knock down those shots. And then defensively, he's going to be tasked with being the you know the backup options for. 
for Joel Embiid and what would have been Giannis, but still would be useful in, you know, if the Celtics are to advance here in going up against, you know, Julius Randle, going up against Mitchell Robinson, going up against Bam Adebayo. Those are all still guys in which Grant is going to have to play a role. And so you see how important he is in which, you know, you, you look at the big men last night, you know, and obviously the fourth quarter didn't really matter. So that sways some of these, the the minutes, but, you know, Al Horford plays just under 24 minutes. Rob Williams plays just under 22. Grant leads the way playing just under 29. So, you know, it shows the importance of, of Grant Williams in the series, but Adam, let's, let's take our, let's take our final break here. And then when we come back, I, I want to flip this over to the Philadelphia side for a little bit, and then we'll look ahead at the two games coming up this weekend. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, Adam. So... Last night, the biggest thing was, will he or won't he? He did. Joel Embiid came back to play last night. A lot of conflicting reporting of how serious is this? I'm back. Is he actually back? And eventually, he was. He did play, as you mentioned, before he played just about 27 minutes, 15 points, five blocks, which I thought were were pretty important, three rebounds here. But let's just start with how did you think Joel Embiid looked out there from, from a physical standpoint? Slow, unsteady on his feet. Looked like he was really struggling to. I mean, balance he fell over one time, just, just yeah. running back on on defense <laughs> completely by himself. And he also fell over when Grant Williams literally brushed him, literally brushed him. Give him, uh, him a little, just yeah. a little blow, a little Lance Stevenson blow. blow. <laughs> Remember the Lance Stevenson blow from back in the day when he yeah. used to blow on LeBron's ear. <laughs> that was, I love that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think he's nowhere near full health. I think that. No, I think everybody understands that, and it's not really a discussion point because everybody understands that. He looked good, you know. There were still times where they were getting, him, they were feeding him in the post. We didn't really see him try and get too deep into the paint on offense. We saw him play as Greg and I spoke about yesterday. We saw him play a very specific, restricted form of defense where he was yeah. kind of like re- reduced mobility, reduced responsibility. That's going to improve, and we're going to see. You know, Embiid will take steps towards being maybe 60% if he was 50, then 70, then and so forth. But I don't think we're going to see MVP Embiid for the entirety of the series. And I'll see Al Sprain's quite serious, especially a grade two. He's playing with um, he's playing with that brace on his knee, you know, so that's going to restrict movement. I don't think it to me, it feels like Embiid and Philly are going through right now what Boston and Rob Williams went through when Rob returned against the Nets and wasn't himself for the yeah. entire postseason. That's a great comp, and it's trying to figure out where can we where can we put him both minutes wise, situationally, to get to, to maximize the most out of whatever we can get out of MB. And you know, for me, I, it, it just felt very conservative, both in the at times in which Joel wanted to try to explode or try to be more of a factor, and then also from a you know from a positioning standpoint, you know where they were using him defensively offensively you know it didn't feel like he was necessarily you know bowling through the lane trying to get a, a lot of foul calls when he was going to the hoop it was mostly on putbacks um 
so it, it was definitely a, a different Joel Embiid. And something that I'm curious about if this stood out to you is that, you know, aside from this aspect of Joel's playing, so now we have, we're locked in, which is, you know, it's, that's an annoying thing that the Celtics just do. It's, we, we know it every time when we see the star players out that every, every fan kind of rolls their eyes, but they, they did come up and lock in. And the one thing that I did notice though, from a, a tactician, I guess, standpoint is it felt like Embiid being out there actually allowed the Celtics to play more of the defense that they wanted to play because they know so much of Philly's offense is going to be focused on Embiid setting screens, running that pick and roll, and then everything else becomes semi-predictable as to, you know, what's going to happen. And you see the Celtics be able to really, you know, the, the defense that flipped the the switch last year was having whether it's, you know, if Grant Williams is in, he's guarding Embiid and Al's guarding PJ Tucker in that Rover role, or if Al's guarding Embiid, Rob is on PJ Tucker in that Rover role. And something that drove me nuts in game one was just how much attention, how much, how many times we didn't leave PJ Tucker alone to go help, whether that's blitzing off of the screens. And in this case, since he wasn't setting as many screens with Embiid out there, you know, he's just off in the corner, but the Celtics were much more um, willing to help off of him and just let him sit there for some reason with the screen, they weren't, but I think this allowed the Celtics to play a lot more traditionally, the defense that, that they've grown to have as, as part of their staple. Yeah. And I mean, knowing that Embiid's not going to roll to the rim with force because of the knee is a huge help as well. Right. Cause you don't have to sag off as much to like alive to pick up that role mm-hmm. because it's not going to happen. And if it does, it's going to be a short role. I doubt like I came into this not expecting to see, um, and be kind of come off a screen and then roll and take up a post position, spin off a guy and dunk. I wasn't expecting to see that at all. That helps because now your defense can be a bit more rigid on the perimeter. You don't, and as you said, there's not as much concern when you're switching off or you're blitzing off of PJ Tucker. And also, I just think that you know Harden's role on the team drastically changes when Embiid is there. He's a connector now. Your job is to facilitate and take the shots that you're given, not hunt out the shots that you want. And, you know, Harden slides into that role and struggles. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that is a product of not being able to kind of feed off of Embiid because Embiid can't feed off of anything at the moment. He's just out there because you can't teach size. Embiid's going to be impactful whether he's at 50% or 100. It's just the level of impact changes. And yeah, so I'd agree. I think also the scouting reports are a lot deeper with Embiid on the floor than afters. A lot more, as you said, it's kind of a default offense that's the mm-hmm. Sixers run with Embiid on the floor. Without him, Paul Reed's a bit of a pain in the ass to defend because his movement's so good. He likes to move around a bit. It's more of a five out offense. Everything, the ball moves quicker, the pace is faster. So I, I agree. I think with Embiid on the floor, it's, I wouldn't say it's easier to guard them, but you're used to guarding the Sixers mm-hmm. with Embiid. You, that's what you're used to, and that makes things... It's, you, it's just a comfortability factor. And, and that's what you have on tape, right? Because there isn't a lot of tape of, hey, that's what, what I mean. does yeah, the reports. Like? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so that's everything that you have in your mind, is we do X when when Y happens, or he rolls, we do this, we you know we, we shade off this individual, we help here. And the Celtics did a great job of that. So I, in a weird way... Embiid being back gave the Celtics defense more confidence in what they were supposed to do because there there was a real lack of of helping you know in in that game one whether it was you know on James Harden with some of the screens he got I mean I think most glaringly of that Tobias Harris dribbling around the world checking the shot clock and just nobody helped out for some reason I, that drew 
didn't make any sense. But, you know, it was definitely a change mentality for this team. And then flipping to James Harden, who, like I said, in, in the morning box score, was just a man on fire in game one. And despite some of the Celtics, you know, faults defensively some of that was just high level shot making by james harden in this game he goes to a 14 we talked about you know specifically jalen brown taking on that matchup at certain times and really seeming to have a, a big impact on that you know i know joe missoula was upset about no one in the media asking him about the adjustments that were made from game one to game two which i thought was a, was a little feisty from from good old crazy Joe Missoula, but I'm curious to know, Adam, did you notice anything different about the approach to to Harden from game one to game two, just given how, you know, the, the shooting percentages and how drastically different they were? To be honest, that'll be something I get in my rewatch that I haven't had yet. I find that they were fighting over screens more than trying to switch. They like they were taking away the ability to hunt mismatches by just fighting over screens with Harden on there. And then if you wanted to switch after, you can, right? But Harden's not going to come off of a screen and flow straight into a mismatch. He's going to have to deal with whoever was on. And that was personnel-wise. There was one where it felt like he was hunting Horford and Smart switched onto, onto Harden. Then Harden come off another screen, and then boom, now you got Derek White on you. And it was just that three-headed monster, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have one of them, you got Malcolm Brogdon and so forth. But for me, it was more just playing the passing lanes. Like, Harden got four assists. Every time he tried to pass the ball, there was somebody playing that passing lane. And now you're forcing him into making shots. And what happened in game one was, and this was the biggest adjustment, the Celtics took away the drag offense. They took away... Philly's transition offense and a lot of Harden's points came from drag screens in game one. So being able to slow them down in transition, make them play a more half court based game, you're taking away a lot of Harden's ability to try and actually score the ball because he's best when he's coming down the floor, a screen set and he can walk into space and take a free that way. He kind of likes to walk into them a bit. He didn't really have that. The Celtics did a good job of picking guys up higher up on the floor. If there was a screen, there'd be somebody else high up on the floor that could pick him up. Those are probably my two biggest changes. Um, Philly just didn't run the same offense that they ran in game one. There wasn't much drag actions, which is a screen in transition. There wasn't much of that. And that really hurt Harden's ability to be the Harden that we saw from game one. And I wrote this, man. Like The thing with Harden is he, he is capable of games like that from game one. Like, like Because he was that guy. The difference is it's yeah. not sustainable for him now because he's 33. He's at... He's drank God knows how many gallons of beer over his, the last 10 years. <laughs> and, you know, he's used all of his energy in, in Vegas doing whatever he was doing. Like, he ain't going to have ink. You can't sustain that. It's just not sustainable. You think he's a beer guy? I feel like he's more of a, a tequila guy. Like, oh, I feel yeah, like he's, 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 he's getting guy. bottles in the club. He ain't, he ain't, he ain't getting a Heineken or uh, you but know. I think or... he's the guy that's at home watching ESPN or Sports Center drinking a, drinking a Corona. What? Say that again? I think he's the type of guy that when he's at home, he's just sitting on the, on the oh, couch. Okay, okay. So he, he's the guy that, so at the club, he's getting the bottles, but on his day to day, he's more like, it's oh, a hey, corona. what's on tonight? Yeah. Get a Corona. Possibly. Uh, but real quick on that assist note that you talked about. So Celtics have 26 assists last night to only 13 for Philly. Another major advantage for the Celtics. So let's do this here, Adam. Let's let's start to to look ahead. There's two games on the weekend coming up here. We've got Friday night in Philadelphia, followed by a Sunday late matinee, about 3.30 tip-off time, um, which, by the way, Adam's going to hang out, stay up with us a little bit a little bit past his bedtime, maybe grab a cup of tea. Uh, the three-man weave will be recording right after 
the 330 tip in game four. Um, so if you're looking for more content, we will have that. And then, as I mentioned before, come follow us on IG. We'll have a pregame live show, uh, 4.30 Eastern, 3.30 Central, uh, in advance of game three on Friday night. But as we look ahead to the weekend here now, so the Celtics have done, after you know, after falling on their face a little bit in game one, they come back and do what the script says. Fall on your face, come back, and look absolutely dominant, uh, even though the MVP of the league came back and take home one of your biggest playoff wins in, in recent memory. Tie the series 1-1. Heading to Philly, two games in Philly this weekend, and this is going to bring a lot of momentum one way or the other here with what happens in these next couple of games. You know, Adam, if let's put yourself in in Joe Missoula's shoes or into his mindset. Let's let's cue it up. Let's give you the let's give you the right settings on your internal on your internal uh, motherboard here. Let's see what we can what we can drum up. What would be your game plan heading into Game Three and Four if you were Joe Missoula? Shoot more freeze. You want to go? You want to go more than fifty one? Yep. What's what's the number that you're targeting? What are you looking for? Just shoot more first. I like that you've gone full Joe Missoula character with two to three word answers. That is the perfect Joe Missoula mindset. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like whoever programs you programs you spot on. Shoot more freeze, Marcus Smart to take more shots. I'm Joe Missoula. So you know, Adam, while you're in this Joe Missoula mindset here, you know what. What were the feelings in between games one and two? How, how do, what was the team's vibe? Pissed. Angry. Would you care to extrapolate on that? Very angry. All right. That's Joe Mazzula, everybody. Joe you do know that was actually what he said, right? When he no, was asked what I the said, team though. was yeah. really. <laughs> <laughs> because then I, f- I forget if it was Jared Weiss or who asked it. Maybe it was Bobby Mann. I can't remember who, who asked it. They kind of asked for a follow-up, and he basically just flipped them around. Pissed. Angry. Angry and pissed. That was kind of... <laughs> Such a such a strange dude. I didn't such know if you dude. if you knew what if you was gonna pick up on me trying to be Joe Missoula. Oh no, that's why I'm saying you did an excellent job. When I said go <laughs> get into your Joe Missoula mindset, I think you absolutely nailed that Joe Missoula uh, impersonation. But Ugh. but yeah, game three, game four this weekend. Any predictions that as Adam Taylor? Let's go back to Adam Taylor here. Let's let's let's, re, let's recalibrate. Any predictions for this upcoming weekend? Games three and four. I think the Celtics come out in game three and look to do exactly what they did in game two. Losing at home in any series against any team in the playoffs is, it's kind of a kick to the nuts, right? It's a pride. It hits your pride quite hard. It's a PJ Tucker swing to the nuts. Yeah. It's a PJ Tucker headbutt to the nuts. Have you seen that forehead? Um, (laughs) Um. So I think I'm expecting them to come back and do this and um, repeat game two and game three and kind of get that win out of the way, get that one win away from home out of the way, mm-hmm. restore some pride in the team, restore some pride for the fan base. And then game four, I'm expecting a really close game. Yeah. I think both teams come to play in game four because if the Celtics do what I say and win game three, then now you're playing for control of the series. You know, if Boston mm-hmm. go 3-1... And they go back home. We've seen that script. You know, they're probably going to win both games in Philly, come home and lose. That's probably how it's going to go, knowing this Celtics team. But um, yeah, man, I'm expecting them to split the series. I'd be very shocked if they dropped game three. But if they did, I would expect them to win game four. But I'm going for a 1-1 split. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that happening. I I think there's a weird world, like you said, in which the Celtics win both of these games in Philly, lose game five at home, and then go back and close it out in game six. Because I do think, for for from the Joel Embiid standpoint, whether it's the Celtics are up 3-1 or it's, you know, there's going to be a point where Embiid has a game. And my point is Embiid's going to have a game. I don't know when it's going to be. There's going to be one game where Embiid really lets it all out there and has has a really really impressive performance i think for me the big prediction i have is just game three tatum's gonna go all out tatum's gonna have a mic drop game i think you know obviously very happy with the win but tatum's in a certain upper echelon of of superstars and you know they're just held to a different standard right and you look around the league you see what Jokic has done you see what devin booker has done in in certain spots you see what steph curry's doing um, I mean, you see what obviously LeBron and AD are doing for the Lakers. What Jimmy Butler has done. And these are all the, these are these are the guys that that live in the same space as Jason Tatum, and so his name is a direct association with them. And it's very rare you see those guys have a seven point performance. You know, it, those guys don't have single digit performance. Peyton Pritchard does not outscore you know Jason Tatum on most nights. You're not <laughs> seeing, you know, you, you don't see campaign score more points than than Devin Booker. And so, you know, I think Jason Tatum is going to have a really loud, a very loud bounce back game. Um, And, you know, something I was talking about with Greg, you know, after you and I criticized a little bit Jason Tatum not having, you know, his best performance in what was it, game five against Atlanta and came back and had a 30 point, 14 rebound, seven assist game to close it out is that seemingly in the 40. I mean, you think back to game six against Milwaukee last year, does some of his best work on the road. My guy likes to travel. Maybe he just needs to be on the road here. So I'm expecting game three, a very loud 30-plus point, 10-plus rebound, double-double from, from Jason Tatum, um, in which he's really going to turn some heads. So that's that's my big prediction for game three. And then I think, I'm like you, I don't see a, way, a world in which Philly wins both of these games. I think either the Celtics win game three handily and then they squeak out game four. I'm with you. I think game four is the game that out of these two, I expect to be just an absolute dogfight between yeah, the two slobber knocker. Yeah, that one's going to be the one that I, I I think will, you know, really determine, make, could determine the series. Because either way, obviously, somebody's going to be up 2-1 going into that game. Um, I think that game four is going to be the, the swing game of this series. But uh, any final thoughts here, Adam, before we wrap this episode up? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna build on your prediction for Jason Tatum and say this will be his first fifty point night of the playoffs. All right, that's a big prediction, man. Fifty points in the playoffs is hard to get. Uh, we'll see. You know, that'd be the first, I believe, if, if we're not counting his play in performance. Actually, no, he did score fifty points against the Brooklyn Nets a couple of years ago. So it'd be the first to do it since himself a couple of years ago against the <laughs> Brooklyn Nets. So. That's, I like that prediction, Adam. I think it's going to be a big night for Jason Tatum. We say big, right? I'm going 50 burgers. You're going 50. I mean, I, yeah. I thought I was going big with a 30-point double-double here. So. That's light work for JT when light he was work. upset. Light work, man. I mean, honestly, 30-14-7, and seven, and it was light work in Game 6 against Atlanta. So we'll have to check back and see how that goes. We'll have y'all covered for, throughout this entire series. So we'll be back on Instagram, 4.30 Eastern, 3.30 Central. Make sure you're following at Adam Taylor MBA, at Green MB Pod, at Monegas Music. We are going to have y'all covered with some pregame shows throughout the postseason. And then, as I mentioned, live podcast recording directly after Game 4 on Sunday. 
We will have the holy trinity of the three man weave united to break that all down and fill y'all in of where we're at heading into game five back in Boston. Going to be one hell of a weekend. Hope that y'all have a great time out there. Hopefully the Celtics can bring back a couple of dubs. Adam, as always, it's been a pleasure, my man. And sending us out here as it does each and every time. You know the drill. Here's a little bit of Black Sheep Optimist from our guy, Greg Manakis, and his band down here in Austin, Texas. See y'all this week. I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes. A glimpse of what I'm missing, thinking it's a mirage. Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe. But I stick for a minute because I'm digging the vibe. I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes. Don't be catching feelings when it's only a vibe. Don't know what the deal is. I'm a typical guy. You know the one thing different is the state of your mind. I'm like, oh. My, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embody, that's what go with the flow I could sing a different song if I could not hit the notes You had me taking off when you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now, but I won't Let's go.